Welcome to Tales of a Per Entrepreneur with your host, Dr. Biz, aka Jamie Reeves. Welcome to Tales of a Per Entrepreneur, a podcast that tells the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And if you're a business owner and parent, I salute you as they're two of the hardest things you can do, and you are doing both together. I'm your host, Jamie Reeves, aka Dr. Biz, and on today's episode, we have a guest that has probably consumed more pizzas than all of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles together. Lee Hammond, not named after my second favourite organ, is a pubpreneur, creator of the restaurant sales engine, podcast storyteller and pizza chef at the renowned Topath Inn in Monmouthshire. He also has kids, dogs and cats all over the place. His words, not mine. So let's get into it. Please welcome Lee Hammond. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Okay, it's been a hell of an intro. Thank you, mate. I don't think I've ever had an intro like that before. <laughs> Thank you. You're very welcome. So, Lee, how the hell do you juggle all of that with parenthood? Um, I think our, our kids are all like a lot older now, so it's sort of it just seems it seems a bit easier. Um, or maybe we've just been doing it longer. Um, but like, I mean, the pub. And family, I mean, if it's, that's probably the best place to start, really. But having a pub with family is probably the like the definition of the hardest business to run and yeah. to sort of stay on top of family. And I'm not going to pretend that I did a good job of it at all. Like, I mean, literally, I think the only thing, and I was writing about this the other day in uh, in uh, in an email that I was doing, and it was... Um, it was, I don't think if it, was, if it wasn't for lockdown, I don't think that like the family side of things would have survived it. Um, yeah. Because lockdown sort of, I had this sort of situation in lockdown where I wasn't um, like my kids, my, my kids' mum is obviously, there's a, it's, we're a blended family now, so we're separate. My kids are with my ex-wife and I've got a, um, I'm, I'm married to Laura now. And she's got two kids. I had four children, so six children in the house, very young when we first started out. And then we, we took a pub on. And um, we've gone sort of all out on this pub and I'm there sort of, we've, we've done what everybody else has done in a pub sort of thing. And they've gone, right, we have to be open all the time. We have to be open for everybody. So I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing, I'm not really seeing my family because I'm trying, trying to build the business. And you're making this excuse that um, that you're in work. Yeah. And it's, uh, so it's, it's important. So you're not, you're missing out on family stuff. And you, you're not so, sort of, you register with it a little bit all the time. You know that you sort of, you're not doing a very good job as a dad and, and as a husband because you're always in work, but you're providing for them. So you sort of make it okay and a little bit as a man as well. And it's only when it got to lockdown and it wasn't lockdown itself. It wasn't the stopping. It was the fact that my ex-wife didn't let me see the kids based on the fact that my, um, my youngest daughter um, has, has mild asthma. Now there was no, there was no reason to do it. It was just a petty feud that has gone on for, for years past the divorce. But um, that just made me think, well, I want to see my kids. I'm off now, so it's convenient for me to see my kids, but I haven't made the most of... I've been really bad at it since then. So if once when this, once this lockdown ends, how am I going to be... How am I going to be a better dad? How am I going to make sure that they're a priority to me? Um, how am I going to make sure that I spend time with my wife, I spend time with my kids, and how am I going to make sure that I can run a pub? And it just meant that we had to restructure our week a little bit. So um, how did- from my point of view... So we just didn't open up as much. <laughs> we just we just decided to only open up Thursday to Sunday. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, the plan we had coming out of lockdown was a lot different to sort of where we are now because things things are always changing so quickly. But the plan back then was hire a chef, get me out of the kitchen, um, do things properly like that, have staff in place, and and sort of and try and run it as a business. Um, a few of those things didn't really work, and the hiring a chef nearly bankrupted us because they came in with their own ideas and things. And, um, I mean, that's our pub story, really, is that that's how we ended up doing pizza, which is amazing. We had a fabulous chef, and I'm, I'm, I'm meeting up with Carl this evening just to catch up, and uh, he's he's a head chef in the Celtic Manor now. And he's an absolutely right. brilliant chef, came out of London, and we thought, well, we'll do a small plates menu. It's going to be amazing sort of thing. And, and the food was, it's just we were a pub on the canal, and um, people don't want fancy small plates on, on their holidays and for lunch and things. And we just we just got the market fit wrong for what we were doing. Um, but one good thing that came out of it is he was making flatbreads, uh, which were the top seller, because I think it was almost like a safe item that people recognised. So, um, yeah, so we um, we just went, well, flatbreads are working. I think I'm one of those people that doesn't, I don't try anything unless I think I can be the best of it. And yeah. there was a little bit of me that went, okay, if I'm going to have to cook in this kitchen again, pizza is something that I probably could be the best at in Wales, certainly, as a start. As a goal, I can tell everybody that I'm going to I'm going to try and make the best Detroit pizza, best New York pizza around. So there's a little bit of a belief thing in it as well, and that's, that's how we ended up making the sort of pizza side of things. But it was designing, okay, we've got our product, we've got the market fit here, that's working. But then also it's got to fit in with family life. So I'm not afraid to shut the kitchen for um, a Christmas play or a holiday these days where I, I used to be like, we've got, I've just got to be here all the time. We've got to be here. And it's just a change of, it's a change of mindset, isn't it really? It's um, cause you can, everybody, everybody knows the work hard, working smart, working hard, all these, all these terms and stuff around it. But I think you've got to have a hard lesson and be able to look at yourself. Like I had to in lockdown and go, and my kids are being kept for me right now. So I made lots of decisions then when they were being kept for me because I was like, well, if I'm not going to see them till like all the sorts of thoughts go through your head, if I'm not going to see them until they're like 18 because they're going to keep me for that long, then I better change the way I live my life as well because I was drinking a lot back then. I've got a pub. I'm going to drink a lot if I'm I'm a landlord sort of thing. And that's another thing I had to get a handle on. Um, if I, I need to make sure I live long enough to spend quality time with them if I'm not going to see them now. And it's like, well, hang on a second. You haven't spent quality time with them properly for probably 18 months since you since you bought this pen. So it's why you, and it's just looking at yourself and assessing that, I think. Did you um, lose a business by closing from Monday to Wednesday then? No, I would actually say we're more profitable now because it's, and it's something that I teach within the restaurant sort of growth engine is that, it's a misconception. It's a it's a it's a limiting belief, if anything, that you have to be open all the time to serve everybody. All we yeah. do is just got really specific on our avatar. But equally, when you like, I'm only I'm not in work for five days of the week. So for for those five days of the week, I can do the stuff that's going to make sure I'm full for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So yeah. I can do the marketing. I can crunch the numbers. I can develop new products. It's it's a sort of like it's the it's the way I would have done it if I if I'd already learned that is that I would have opened the pub three days a week, marketed it, got it busy, and once those bootstrapped it, once that one was full, then once my three days were full, I'll open a fourth. Once my fourth's full, I'll open a fifth. Yeah. It's sort of you you grow the company like that. Whereas we've got this idea that if you have a pub, and there's still, I still get it now, people just looking at me like a mad in the summer because I'm like, and my office is above the pub, 
And then if I'm walking down the steps, you know, if people are like, pub's not open, why is it not open? It's a beautiful sunny day. It's like, well, because <laughs> you're not my avatar. <laughs> you can't say, well, I'm not here for you. I'm here for people that want to use it on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, because that's what makes me profitable as a business. And that's what all our products are designed for. Like even only as recently as the end of this, end of last year, we went, uh, sorry, end of summer last year, we went, right, we're closing Thursday and Friday lunchtimes now. Because when we came out of lockdown, we were open Thursday and Friday lunchtime. But we were just, when we, we were getting our worst reviews on a Thursday and Friday lunchtime, because what we did didn't suit that customer avatar. They want sandwiches. They want pub grub. And we don't do that. We do street food. So we have the best street food in Wales, come here and do pop-ups, and we do pizza. And it's really good quality pizza. That works on a Saturday lunchtime. We can just about get away with it. We couldn't do it on Thursday and Friday. So we can't serve that customer correctly. So we closed. And we were more profitable. So it's it's almost like knowing your customer avatar then yeah. is, say, family life. Which is really yeah. interesting that something so business-related has then really affected the quality of your personal life. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's never, it's, it's always a balancing act, isn't it? The quality of personal life. You can only sort of measure it. But I think the hardest thing in measuring sort of family life is that to get an honest opinion of all your family when it's such a big family is quite hard. You can only measure it from your point of view, can't you? And, yeah. and getting feedback is quite hard then as well. Cause it's, um, if they, I think if they see you working really, really hard and they trying your best, it might, you might not be ticking all the boxes, but I don't know how you get that better. But yeah, definitely. I think, I think there's a there's a lot to be learned from sort of um, how you serve your family is how you should serve the customer avatar in your business, yeah. So I'm guessing as well in this process that systems and processing had a, had a massive part to play in in creating that kind of business where you could step away when you needed to and let your team kind of run things in the way that you wanted it to, to run. Yeah, I wish. I honestly, I wish that was the case. Yeah, it's it's there to it's there for the taking in this business. I'm just not that person. I, I it's like uh, you're the same as me. You prioritize stuff when you're doing you you, you plan things every day, and like I'll yeah. stick something like create a SOPS manual for something on my list like every day for a month, and it'll never get done. I wish I was that person. Um, but we simplified the business down to such a level. Like our next, if we ever wanted to scale that up to sort of more than this one place but the towpath's always just been a test it's just been a test bed for me really because my my actual passion is marketing within hospitality um and taking direct response and seeing how that can help help hospitality and that's why why i've got the why my personal thing why i've got the towpath that's why i've dragged my family through this being in hospitality from being sort of quietly unknown on a on a on a small farm on the hill where nobody really knew us our dogs yeah. are recognised more because they because they ran off and will be found <laughs> in different places. Um, to being incredibly well known and everybody have an opinion about you. Um, yeah. So you sort of drive them through that. But mine mine's always to have the purpose for a marketing side of things. And I think if we were going to take it to scale it beyond one, then we'd have to address those those stand those operating procedures we've got. Operating procedures for making cocktails, making pizza, sort of steps of service, those sorts of things. And we've got a very um, one-on-one sort of training way to do it. We're lucky we've got a good team that have stuck with us now over the last couple of years. We don't need to. We haven't got a high turnover of staff as it was, but and we're only open twenty-four hours a week. 
But I think if we were going to take it further than that, then yeah, we'd have to get some systems and operations in place. The first thing I would do is go to somebody to either poke or do it for me, to be honest, because it's definitely a it's a, it's similar to painting for me. Yeah. Like I can get excited about it for maybe five minutes. <laughs> and and then after five minutes I'm grinding my teeth for the rest of that whole process. Um, yeah. whereas painting like is once you started you kinda have to finish, whereas it's very easy for me to move on to something else that I want to do away from from sort of operating procedures and systems and things. So yeah, then you serve as that guy. You you've identified something that you need to, to delegate to kind of get to that next level of where the, the yeah. business might go to. So that that's quite a good thing in itself and, and quite a mature thing in itself because sometimes as as business owners we want to do everything. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I'm the best at doing that. Um sometimes we don't let go. Um and yet sometimes that's exactly what we need to do to help us scale the business or have more time within our personal life. Yeah, um, letting, letting go is tough, isn't it, sometimes? Like, I, I would say I struggle to let go of things like um, those real proprietary things that you've, like, you've created, like a pizza recipe and things like that. It's like no one's ever like, – those are the things I'll struggle to let go of. I'm, I mean, well, I, I you definitely used to be, like, behind the bar with cocktails and things. You'd be like, no, the, the straw needs to go here and the, the garnish needs to go here and stuff. I'm a lot more relaxed about it now, but I think that's because I'm anal about the pizza now rather than my, my attention is in a different area. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, letting, letting go of stuff and letting somebody else do it. It's one of those, um, yeah, it's one of those so hard things to do. About the cocktails, do you think you ever get to that about the pizzas then? Yeah, I think for me, I'm quite, I get to a point where I'm like just, I'm fed up. I, do do you know what I mean? You're not excited about it anymore. Like I've got it written. I've got it written in my journal. I've got it written on my laptop. It's um, it's uh, better, um, more new, which is I think Alex from Ozzy, and it's like just stops me going to the new thing all the time. Is I got to okay? I've got to make this better. I've got to fill the holes in the bucket, and I've got to do more of it then, and then I've, then I can go on to new things. But like. Once you you get excited about like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do pizza. There's the new stage of it, isn't it? And then you like sort of do it, and it's starting to work, and it's working. And it gets to a point where okay, this is successful now. I can I can move on to the next thing, the new thing, and get excited about it. So it's easy for me at that point to let go of it. I think. Um, I think that was pretty much like me with my singing. So when I first started singing waiters, it was doing all these fabulous weddings that were really really exciting. It was brand new, but then I was starting to get the the pictures of. Jack on the fire engine visit was a kind of big pivotal moment for me. And that, that was like a big stab in the heart. So it's like, okay, this is, this is really fun, my job, but how do I kind of make it so that other people can, can do it? And that was a big firing point for me to kind of write, okay, well, we've got this system and process. Um, have you ever heard of the show, the the blue man group? No, no. They perform all over the world. They're basically. Do you remember Are they the blue t- men? Yeah, I think. Of- yeah, the tango advert yeah. with the big orange yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the, yeah. This is like a blue version of them, and they're all over the world. So I wanted to create singing waiters that that were like that. So it was then creating the the systems and the processes and the blueprint, for want of a better way of describing it, to to make sure that if somebody took my part in the show that it would be the same kind of feeling and emotions and an atmosphere at that gig as it would be a a gig down in London 
to to Aberdeen. It was all kind of creating that similar atmosphere, and and that's I think what what we got to. And I think for for you, mm. you've done that with your cocktails because you're happy to let go of that bit now. The next stage probably is well, can I get to that with my pizzas? Yeah, I mean, how did you do it with like the charisma side of it then? Like, how do you like? I haven't had, I haven't seen your singing waiters singing thing, but how do you make sure that? Because everybody's got like different personality styles and things like that. And yeah, you sort of always know wherever you are in the business is going to be is going to be doing well, but like sort of wherever you aren't, they might not be doing as well. And like, how do you is that is that just the the person the higher inside of it? Then do you think, or is it? Yeah, it's, it's it's making sure that the person that's coming in is is of the right experience and of the right personality and 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 whatnot. And part of it is having a little bit of faith in the people that you you're hiring and and kind of trusting them because mm. letting go of that little bit is tough it, it's not an easy thing to do but you've got to have that trust and that belief otherwise you will just get stuck at the level that you're at um, yeah. and, and i think we're struggling personality a bit because we're, we're fishing in such a small pool of sort of um staff these days yeah so it's like but like i don't know i know sort of like i can look back on our feedback because our booking system's got feedback. It's like a firewall in between TripAdvisor and Google reviews, so we can sort of see where every day sort of where things might be slipping. So we're always monitoring it. But like I know, like if I'm not if I'm not front of house, then generally the sort of the feedback with like atmosphere or um, service will be lower. Whereas yeah. like if I wasn't cooking food then probably the food level might be lower if I don't get it's 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 sort of maybe that that's why I sort of go into these thinking loops where I go okay I, I think I can systematize the food where the food comes out right all the time which is one of the reasons why we're investing sort of heavily in our kitchen at the moment because we've always done wood-fired pizza um mm-hmm. our New York style pizza has always been wood-fired and I'm like there's absolutely no way I can teach a teenager or somebody with sort of very low level skills to cook a wood-fired pizza they are they're a year of actually wanting to trying to learn it in an oven and, and generally not like my skill set to teach somebody isn't high enough. It might, I've just had time to learn to do it and want to do it and try it, try it again. Yeah. Whereas like in an electric oven, in a kitchen, in a, more con, in, a, in a confined, in a sort of controlled environment, then I think I probably could teach somebody yeah. to do it. So that's why we've gone, okay, the, the external factors have gone, we're going we're gonna to invest in the extraction, the new pizza ovens, that stuff in the kitchen. Because I think I can systematize that part better than I can systematize the actual hospitality side of things. Yeah, but it's um, I just started sort of asking with the singing waiters really because that's got to be you've got to go with a gut feeling, surely before you. Is it a franchise model then, or do people work for you? Or? No, it's, it's we have a, a team of subcontractors that are all kind of handpicked and all, all audition for us. So. Do you sit on, on you sit in on those auditions though, so you get an idea whether that person's um, going to be able not to. Now, no, no. Um, I have my team that that can do that. Heather is is my kind of office manager, and she's done lots of these. And Donna is also who also works as part of my admin team is one of the singers, and as yeah. so uh, twenty odd years, probably shouldn't say any numbers higher than that, or she might give yeah. me a. Sleep. Um, but so the the experience of those two combined is enough for us to know that we can handpick who we need to handpick. I've kind of shown Heather what we look for when she sat in with the auditions with me. 
she's taken over that role and then has brought Donna in to make sure that we get the right kind of performers. Um, because all, while she's done some performance herself, not she hasn't done it at the level that me and Donna have done. Like Donna's done loads of like theatre gigs and, and whatnot and has been around the circuit in the same way that I have. Um, so that makes it a lot easier for us to to create and, and take from that process. Um, but yeah, it, going back to gut feeling, gut feeling in business, I think, is one of the things that isn't used enough. Um, without trying to sound too woo-woo, we, we need to trust our gut and, and mm. use this second brain because whenever I've had business decisions that, for, for instance, of, of letting go of staff, my, my gut feeling had told me that three, four months previous. Yeah. Um, and you want to get the best out of people. You want to try and help people as much as you can. Um, but you sometimes ignore the gut feeling and, and you know that once, once that um, situation is done, you're like, I wish I'd have trusted my gut three, four months ago. Yeah. Uh, because so, they say that like trauma is held in the in the gut, isn't it? So it's like it's almost like you're referencing a trauma, um, yeah. like you say with your second brain sort of thing. Where you're going, you can feel that in your gut because you you've been here before and you know that you need to do something about it. Maybe, yeah. But, uh, I only really sort of clicked to that as you said, your second brain. So yeah. So uh, you're quite rare in the the pub industry that you've got a subscription model that works alongside your business. So how does that all work? Yeah. So that's going back to um, the reason I got into uh, hospitality. Like I didn't, I never wanted a pub. I started an agency when um, called Pubify, which everybody pronounced Pubify, which drove me mad. Uh, so I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was always on a loser that one was. So yeah, I, I wanted to. So I'd, I'd always sold. Um, I'll go back again. I'd sold into pubs for a long, long time with fruit machines and pool tables and stuff like that. And every day I'd go in there and be a house business. Oh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a nice day today. So we think it's going to pick up. And it's like in my head, I'm like, so you're just hoping the weather is going to, you're hoping the weather is going to mean you're going to have a good day. And I'm just thinking these guys are actually doing, and this is like before Facebook was even like on the radar of most like hospitality businesses, even just like, posting on it regularly was it wasn't saying it was happening it was just a social network with no businesses on back then yeah and i was just like you're not doing any you're not doing any marketing and i'm just like and this thing's just sticking with me and i was doing i didn't i was in that business for eight years um and then that all went wrong um not any fault of mine but yeah uh i got that business got sold behind my back and he's in prison now thankfully like business partner as a massive fraudster but yeah i was um i was sort of forced to go and shovel horse muck on a uh, on a farm just to just to cover bills in the mornings and i was like i had this like this idea is just stuck with me all the time i wanted to create an agency that did marketing for pubs yeah and and i was literally just shoveling shit all day mate. that's what i was doing and then two o'clock, I'd finish, and I'd work on these ideas of how I was going to solve it. And I wanted to use direct response. I'd been listening to a load of Russell Brunson stuff from like uh, Cook Funnels. I'd been listening uh, to all those sort of direct, all direct response marketers, um, just podcast after podcast after podcast. And it's weird every time I go into like this, like not knowing what to do, I revert back to the headphones and I'll just listen to podcast audiobooks, and and those things will give me those. 
moments where I go, that's that's what I want to do next. That's what's that's what that's what ties in with sort of what I want to achieve because I've never really known what I wanted to do, but yeah. I've always just gone along with things. And this is why it's always got me into trouble with sort of people like they're quite willing to take advantage of me being willing to do tons of work, wanting to have my own business, but not really quite sure knowing what I wanted to do. But I'd always it's happened twice in my life where I've ended up with a dodgy business partner or under the deal of a business partner and next thing you know they're not what they say they are they're a complete ultimate and it's uh but yeah so i i decided to start an agency started to call it publify i was going to help pubs and i just i started going in and i was going right i'm going to help you with marketing so i'm going to use these direct response tactics like um ads online and stuff to get people to come in and i was doing it i get a couple of clients they pay me a little bit of money it was never going to work financially and what I found myself doing is I was just solving problems for people all the time. I, I actually went, I went to these, I was going into places that were going, what can I help you with? I ended up as Business Wales, as, as a mentor of Business Wales for hospitality marketing and to, to sort of get me leads, but to sort of get me face-to-face conversations with people that actually needed some help and see where I could help them. And I ended up doing things like I got my, I got my card services. Um, I did a four-day course so I could do card services for people so I could read the things so I could help them. I don't know, mate. I was in a, I was in like just, I was just, why am I doing this? It's like, I'm not actually doing any marketing. I'm not doing the stuff I want to do. So I'm listening to podcasts and audiobooks still, but then I'm going and helping people. And I just turned into this like one stop shop that would sell anything for commission. I would be doing like e postills and card services just to pay the bills. But really, like, somebody gave me a glint of doing some marketing, then I'd do some Facebook ads for them and run some ads. But they were, they were never really working. I couldn't work out why. And then Laura and my wife, Text me the one day she goes the pub in the village is up for sale at police and i just I, I was like which one she goes the one on the canal and we live we live on the hill sort of thing we we mind our own business and i was like that's it i need that pub i need to go into that pub and i need to try this for myself yeah. so i was like literally i was in i was in a pub in newport and i think i was helping a install a card machine or maybe a jukebox that I'd sold her through a third party. I can't remember. And um, but I remember I was miserable and I just went, right, I'm ringing that brewery now to get the deal. So I rang the guy, I pitched him what I wanted. I met him the week after. We couldn't get in for another, this is March 2018. We couldn't get in till, for six months because they couldn't get the guy out of here. This place was falling down. There was like rats in here. It was horrendous, but it was like this is this is what we're doing. And then we got the lease. Me and Laura, three months to get it open um, as a pub. And I was like, right, this is I'm going to show everybody what I can do marketing. Didn't do a bloody thing marketing for eighteen months because I just didn't have time. We were open seven days a week. I was learning how to be a landlord. I was just fighting fires. We were like every bit of money we made every week we put into making things right, fixing things turning it into somewhere which was nice because we were bootstrapping like at the at the most like skintest level we i literally like the deposit was six thousand pounds on this pub i didn't have six thousand pounds at the time i was broke i was like on the bread line of like just getting can i get all my bills paid um that month by selling enough at least whatever i was selling in so i was able to lend some money off a friend um a small amount of money, but I had to negotiate the, the deposit to be paid over three years in the end just to get in here. So it was just a case of like, I'm getting that pub. You know, when you sort of, when you decide it's happening and when I get saying, when I get the sort of the bit between your teeth, so that, that sort of, I'm, I, I'll make it happen generally. I said, like, right, I'm going to do marketing. Yeah. Stop you there. 
how do you get the determination and the faith to to be so dogged and right? This is what's going to happen. How, how do you go about doing that? I think it's just a it's a belief thing for me. I wouldn't say it's something that I meant. I'm not very good at it. I was having the same conversation with myself in my head this morning when I was walking the dogs in the dark. I was like, "There's a there's a, I'm at another stage in my life where I'm actually where we're, we're teaching people this system in the pub, and like I've got clients that are paying me quite a lot of money to do it for them, and I'm like, like how do I get that belief in myself at this stage that I had when I could go and do the pub? And it's because there's a, there's always that little worry of sort of capability, and it, and you need, and I know I can do it for me. It's just doing it again. I don't. I honestly don't know what the answer is, but it's definitely um, there's definitely a level of the journal inside the thing. What you tell yourself, you believe, um, yeah. and then sort of just just reminding yourself all the time of your abilities and your wins and things like that. Um, that sort of reiterated to me. And yeah, my family tell me that they're proud of me and they sort of, they believe in me as well. I'll go to them for a bit of belief because that's what those people mean the most to me is if they think I can do it, then generally I know I can do it. Um, and being open with them on it. But it's also identifying the fact that actually maybe you need a little bit of belief to do something. But back then that was just a, for me, it was like, that's the answer. That ticks all the boxes for me. That's going to give us the money that I need to sort of, I know I can, I, I've been around pubs for long enough. I know about them. I didn't. <laughs> I thought I did. I mean, I know enough. A little knowledge was definitely dangerous back then. So yeah, it was. Uh, and I can talk to people all day. So um, stand behind the bar, hold court. Um, yeah. So the, the belief side of it. Yeah, that was. Just, that was just. That was the answer. I was going to get that pub. I was going to do my own marketing. I was going to work out the system for marketing for pubs, restaurants, independent food businesses. That yeah. they can, um, that they can, they can then scale themselves. And there was only, it's only now recently. So this is five years, five and a half years ago. It's only now recently that we've got that system, and that's just from tying every tactic that there is out there for pubs, restaurants. Yeah. Like I remember, I remember it when I went. I've done no marketing, and it wasn't. I don't think it was even as soon as lockdown. I think we were looking at like eighteen months in. We were looking at doing. It was quiet in January. 2020 and we were looking at like let's do a newsletter so i need i need to publish daily so i'm going to do a newsletter and i'm going to write these emails and stuff i didn't really know and i think you're looking for people then that are writing emails to see what the best thing to write is and i was just like i mean i've lost my train of thought now but i remember it was sort of about writing yeah i wanted to do marketing but i didn't really know I didn't, it was just a case of like, there was lots, there's lots of stuff out there. I even went like, I had this sort of thing where I was like, okay, and what did I hear? I heard, I somebody said that the two businesses that go out of business the most are in the USA and the UK are restaurants and, and gyms. So I was like, okay, nobody's, literally nobody's doing any direct response marketing restaurants. There wasn't for anyone for me to go and, there wasn't anyone for me to go and copy or go and see. There was literally nobody doing like, had a system for marketing restaurants. There was the big brands that would go out with lots of ad spend and things like that. But yeah. for independence, nobody was doing it. So I couldn't see. So then I looked at gyms and that's where I come across Alex Mosey and he was doing gym launch secrets. Before he was a big thing like he is now, yeah. he was big back then, but he was big in gyms. And so I started to use, like take his principles for gyms and apply them to restaurants, which is why this is where the subscription model, which is all where all that sort of came from. 
So I had a plan from that and it was just a case of, right, I went back through his like two or three years of podcasts and just kept, just kept listening, kept listening, kept listening. Okay, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. And then I'd, those things are tie in with other marketers that I found online. So you just go into authorities and you, you're getting the free coaching because all the resources that you ever need to do anything is out there. You've just got to find the right person, I think. Yeah. And, and that's where I started to actually do some marketing for the public. Well, one of my first, it's interesting that you talk about the, the direct response marketing. One of my first lessons in marketing was when I was probably about 18, 19. Um, and I was working at the local nightclub. I was doing a bit of DJ and it's where kind of my entertainment career all started. And I used to come in in the daytime and he'd have, the manager would have thousands upon thousands of these free bubbly tickets. Mm. And they used to do two promos a year, one for your birthday, because you had to put your date of birth on there. And then one about six months away from your yeah. birthday going, yeah. Whoop, it's your birthday. Here's a load of free tickets get a yeah. bottle of and bring a load of your mates. And we used to stuff tickets all day long and just mail, mail, mail. And it, it's a wonder why kind of pubs and restaurants aren't doing more of that because mm. it's such an easy way of come and spend your birthday with us or whoops, it's your birthday. Well, it isn't, but come and celebrate with us anyway. It's just yeah, so... I think, I, I think they are. It's just, to me, that's something I put in as like a tactic. Yeah, and so like you do a tactic, it works, and then they all go and try another tactic, and it's sort of there isn't you 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 need a strategy, and there was never there's no strategy for them to work in, so they do that. Okay, that worked a bit. Do we do it? And we'll keep, should we keep doing it? And then a lot of it comes into the fact, like I was saying before, is that because you're working seven days, you actually haven't got any time to do it marketing. Yeah, um, you haven't got any time to put towards it because you're constantly you're constantly doing operations. A restaurant was best described to me the other day. As a, as a manufacturing plant attached to a retail store. So you've basically got two businesses. So you've got a kitchen manufacturing, a bar manufacturing, all the products, and then you've got a retail store where everybody's like selling and interacting and telling people about it. And that's the best way. It's basically two big industries that have been slammed together. So if you're open, and that's why you start to see people close a bit, if you're open seven days a week and you can't, you're on the bread line, you can't really afford, um, like all the big brands are doing that. Because they got VC back and they got the finance, they got a head office that does marketing for them. But like yeah. a, a a family business or a few chains, we haven't got the money to actually have a market. You need a, you need a system that is actually build once, deploy it. It works on autopilot. It, get, it brings a business in. It finances itself. And this is this is what I've been trying to build for a long, long time. Was that that sort of growth model? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I when you said it, then I flash back to. I, when I was 16, I moved to Essex to do my apprenticeship, which um, didn't end well. So I came back to um, came back to Wales, uh, moved in with my mum for like, I think she gave me about three weeks before she threw me out again. Um, and I ended up in Cardiff. And I uh, I was I was in Castle Bingo. And I was, I mean, this shows how much of a blagger I am, <laughs> is that I was, I was handing out change in Castle Bingo in a bingo hall. And this yeah. is back before the smoking ban, so you could you couldn't see from one side of the hall to the other. So you're walking around handing out change, marking marking people's books when they want to go for the toilet. So you get proficient at marking like three bingo books at a time. I was just like, I've had enough of this. And I was talking. There's this lady and a glam, glamorous lady. I think she she was like head of Castle Bingo's like fruit machines. I can't I can't remember her name. And um, I was like, screw this. I'm just going to go work on the fruit machines. So I just pulled her aside one day. I said, look, I got experience working on fruit machines. I'm a qualified engineer at the HNC level because I had got my HNC. Uh, I've got seating girls, all this stuff, and electric. I blagged a bit. 
and and then um and i knew that my mate from brecon had worked in castle bingo and Merthyr. and i said oh i used to work quite a bit for him in his shop in brecon and she it turns out she loved him and it was just a little brag got me onto the fruit machine she goes oh yeah come and work on the fruit machines with me if you've done the experience so i ended up doing the fruit machines after about a month of just like deciding that i'm not doing change anymore i want to go and work on the fruit machine and yeah. i just remember like i'd spend i spend most of my day either cleaning fruit machines repairing them or sending out birthday cards to people so just filling out handwriting the envelopes and it was stacks and stacks of envelopes that we're sending out so it's just another example of big brands where they send it and it's that mechanism that birthday because it does yeah. work it gets people in for a birthday game of bingo yeah um, Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a fond memory that I have of, of my time when I was working at Fifth Fathom and Barry Hughes, bless him, one of my, my early mentors and, and what he taught me. And I, I kind of look back on it and just think, especially when I started listening to, to people like Dan Kennedy and Russell Brunton and, and the like, and that was probably my first experience of direct response marketing. So kind of going back to what you said a little bit earlier then, for independent restaurants that don't really have the time to to do the marketing and, and to do the bits that they need to do to fill up their weekends. Family life and lockdown has kind of saved you and made you busier then because it's forced you to close and be more creative with the time that you do have and make the most most of that and train your customers to make Thursday to Sunday the profitable bit and then Monday to Wednesday gives you that time to breathe, to think, to to have that time to, to put the sales and marketing and be a bit more systems and process driven and put some time away for the family. So do, do you think that's what more independent kind of pubs and restaurants need to do then to to give give them the opportunity to fill up the weekends? Yeah, I think they're just, they're, I think they're little things from my own experience. I think you've got to, so you've got product. I, I was, I was explaining this to somebody, a client of mine actually with, with uh, Magnetic Hospitality, which is my coaching business, um, named after Dan Kennedy's business actually. So, um, yeah, so I was explaining this the other day that they've got, you can have a, there's, there's lots of independent businesses. Independent hospitality is my favorite. I bet you will pretty much never see me at a chain and it's not because i'm a I, i'm a chain snob i just don't want that sort of food and you know with independent businesses that their their food most of the time is going to be their core their product is going to be their core focus yeah and whether that's pizzas burgers whatever whatever it's going to be tacos through the range of those like i'm quite i'm quite fussy when it comes to eating out they need to be quite they need to be specialists and that's kind of one of the reasons why I, that's the industry that I want to help is because it's really, really – like, I go back to when we first moved to Abergavenny. Me and Laura, we went out for food to this Italian restaurant. And I literally had the best tiramisu I have ever eaten. I was like, we're going to come here every week, every fortnight. This food is bloody brilliant. It was closed the next week. It had gone out of business. And I was like, I can't believe I've like found a place that I like to eat in my yeah. local town, and it's closed. It's gone out of business. And it's, you can you can have the best product in the world, but if you don't do any marketing, or as I explained it to a client of mine, if you don't have the if you don't get the market fit, which the clue is in the name, you have to do marketing to understand the market fit. You have to understand the message, the offer that you have to give to people to get them to come in and have your product. Having a good product isn't enough. Yeah. So 
that's my sort of let's call it a mission to sort of thing that is to get that across to people is that you have to have the best product to be successful that's just a given you have to work on that to have the best product but you have to have the time then yourself or the money money or time if you've got the money then pay somebody else to work it out if you've got the time then have give yourself if you haven't got the money then give yourself the time to um to work out what the market fit is, what is the offer to get that in there, and you only work that out by doing testing stuff through marketing. You have to have you have to you have to know who you who you're going to serve, who you get who your customer is going to be, and you test that by finding out who your customer is. Or if you've been trading for ages, you get people in, you get people to do testimonials for you. Yeah. And like I it's, get testimonials because it tells me everything that I'm doing right. Yeah, it just really helps with marketing, doesn't it? And knowing that avatar and then being visible to the people that connect with that avatar i think is like you say the difference between the italian restaurant staying in business and the italian restaurant going out of business um and i guess from from what you're saying about your industry that's that they're great at creating that brilliant experience but they're not great at being visible Mm. yeah and and a lot of that can be down to they haven't had the time to do it. But a lot of it is also there's an education level of it there. And in Britain, we think if we open a restaurant, it has to be open all the time, and we've got to serve everyone. You haven't you've just got to choose one person that's that there are enough of that you yeah. can serve. One person who's got that problem that you can solve for them, and that's where it comes across from sort of that direct response is you're solving a problem for somebody, and then all of a sudden all your messaging is right, all your messaging is the same, and you only have to be open those times. So if you're only there to serve a customer that there are lots of that want breakfast, then you're only going to be doing breakfast. This idea that the first thing we that I noticed and the first thing I did as well was that we've got to be open and then, okay, we're, we're making some money on, this is working, so now we're going to add a second thing. And that's what, no, that is genuinely almost bankrupt to us is because we, we accidentally became Wales's first street food pub. And this is like five years ago. Yeah, through necessity. This place did not have a kitchen. And I only learned this through this process. This place didn't have a kitchen. So doing Dream 100, which I kind of was like, I was implementing back then anyway. I've I've basically gone, dropping a step before sort of thing. I've basically gone, we're, me and Laura were at um, Abergurney Food Festival basically. And I was seeing these queues mm. on like Beefy Boys and people like that. And I was like, well, why don't I just invite those guys? To the mm. And that's where I learned Dream 100. It's like all of a sudden I'm, I'm getting the audience of those people. And it's like, yeah. I remember we did we did the first Beefy Boys pop-up with us. Mm. And if you don't know who they are, they're just the sort of, they're the best burger for around here. They've got restaurants mm. up the borders of Wales and they've got fam. Mm. They recently just did a pop-up with us and I think they did like served 400 people in four hours or something mm. stupid like that. Mm. And mm. we're a rural pub and that's in January. So, we we did the first one of those pop-ups five years ago and it was um like we lever we didn't have a kitchen. We used somebody we, we pulled in somebody else to do our food for us. And and then we were like, Well, we'll just reach out to loads of other people that from that we saw have a Gurney Food Festival and see if they'll do it as well. And all of a sudden we've got a schedule of street food. This means we're busy on a Friday night and we're busy on a Saturday night. And then we're like, Well, we now need to we need to do something our own now. We need to do something which is our own. And that's where we were like, we came out of lockdown, we've got the chef and we're doing small plates, but we were doing small plates and we were doing street food, which is obvious to me now that that's two products that should not ever be together. It's too much for somebody to understand. 
and then the pizza comes out, but pizza is street food, so pizza works with the street food thing. It's still quite a hard sell for us because we do two things. Ideally, we would just do street food. I just don't, it's just very difficult for us to do that here. But pizza is street food. We are more profitable. We make a lot more money off doing the pizza. It's a high margin product. It's a high quality product. Um, but like, that's where I, that's where I sort of learned that side of it is that you can't, you, you, the first thing you sort of do is you go, and I was talking to a burger restaurant the other day. They were like, um, we're going to start doing breakfast. It's like, why are you starting to do breakfast? You're a burger joint. Do you want to be known for breakfast or do you want to be known for burgers? It's like, it's one thing that you're going to serve to one person. And and it's very hard, I think, especially if you're like that very entrepreneurial, always wanting to come up with ideas and solve problems. You can be doing 15 different things in your one business, serving everybody like an average level of service and food because you're exhausted the the staff are overworked it's 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 sort of the sooner you can sort of just get laser focused on just one person you serve know everything about that person the problems that you're solving for them primary secondary problems and how you can solve more of that problem for them without adding more products just solving the problem again yeah so, um, i was speaking to john lamerton in a previous podcast and he's had he's been an angel investor in various different companies and the more he learns about business the more he's scaling down and scaling down to just solve the problem of that one thing so it doesn't matter whether you're a restaurant it doesn't matter whether you're a service-based industry solving the problem of that one thing is kind Mm. of key really to to niching down to that particular avatar and being able to serve your customer better um you talked about your dream 100 um for for those that don't understand what what that is can you explain in that a little bit more so uh, russell brunson writes about it in his books um and i the way i explain it is slightly different so they would explain it as in you make a list of um everybody on youtube everybody on instagram everybody on facebook everybody on audible everybody on amazon that has got your audience that you can then um work your way in or buy your way in in hospitality, I we use it. I use it as a means of exactly the same principle, but it's a who who has got my audience already, and how can I basically work with them? So you can use it in a in the way we have pop ups. You can use it. Gary Ash is doing it all the time with his places at the moment because he's he's very sort of vocal about struggling. He's your neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, He's bringing in guest chefs all the time because it's it brings their audience on eyes onto him. So if they're following, um, we did it in the street food way. It was like, okay, well, beefy boys have got hundred odd thousand. I don't don't even know what follows them. If I put them into my pub, then the eyes of all those people are now on my pub. And if I keep doing that with all these different audiences, it's the same reason that we that sort of we when we did we did the street food cookbook as our lead magnet in the pub uh, about three years ago. And we put everybody's, it's the same, it's the same concept. We got all the street food traders in South Wales that we could to give us a recipe, put it into an, put it into a, a recipe book and got them all to share it because that got everybody onto my email list. It's an organic, it's an organic way to do it, but it, it works in, it works in so many different ways. It's like, how can I, how can I build an audience using other people's audiences? And that's yeah. all the principle is in hospitality is what's, because it's the quickest way to launch anything is use Dream 100, how can I go and leverage those audiences? Because Facebook ads, all that stuff is great, but it's really expensive now. Like it's yeah. unbelievably expensive now. And unless you've got a really, really good system, which you can monitor the numbers on, this is the quickest way to get. Like if I was, uh, if I was 
if I was like, if I had a pub that was, um, if I had a restaurant that was like Michelin star, then I'd just go out. I would find a way to get the audiences of all the other Michelin star chefs around there. I'd make a list basically of everybody that's got my audience, but I'd start with Michelin star chefs, but it might even be just the case of the premium hairdressers in town. They'd be on my dream 100. The butcher yeah. shop that does the best beef, the best beef in town, or the uh, the magazine that they're all reading for their weddings, because that's the Dream One Hundred thing. So that's where I'm going to put my adverts because they've got my audience, so I know that's going to cover it. I mean, that's more of a Dan Kennedy tactic. Yeah. But like a hairdresser, if you just invite them in for food once a month to have food for free, the owner of the hairdressers, and they have they have and you woo them and you give them an amazing time, they're going to tell everyone about it. That's working your way in. That's buying your way in. It's, it's, yeah. it's just work your way in and buy your way into an audience to people who have already got your audience. So always be thinking, Dream 100 is like my first stop with anybody. Like if I go in for when we do a full day brainstorming day, as we go, it's customer avatar. We do a few little things on um, gross profit, making sure that I'm not going to bankrupt somebody by getting a load of people in to eat a certain products that's not profitable enough. And then everything then is about Dream 100. So, okay, how can we get this launched to to go really really quickly how can we get people into our funnel is traffic nice nice you've mentioned a few of the heavyweights in the marketing world so tell me about how important books and podcasts have been in in your development as you've you've learned all these tactics to run your business they've been everything really uh there isn't it's when i think when you try and i, I listen i can i listen to a podcast every morning uh in the dark walking the dogs uh, this is why I lose my dogs very often because if it's a really good one, I just take my eyes off them and they're gone. Um, yeah, I listen at I listen at most sort of uh, opportunities. I'd love to say I read a lot of books. I don't. I try all the time to read. Um, there's something I just words bounce around the page sort of with me. So it's I'm yeah. getting better at it. Um, yeah. But I, I like to audiobooks not so much not so much these days because. I'm very easily distracted with different strategies. Like back in the early days when I was looking for the answers and stuff, I'd listen to loads and loads of different podcasts. I'd, listen, I'd read loads and loads of different books. Now I just tend to read the same books over and over, see if I can get anything more out of it. I just listen to the same sort of three or four people over and over because I know that I'm implementing their stuff. That's what's working for me. And if I go and start listening to somebody else, they do it differently. I could put me back a year. If I want to start, oh, let's do it this way. It's just going to irritate everybody that's around me because, well, we've got our system for doing things now. This is how we do it. I've got to become a little bit of an authority on on what we do and sort of go in there and, and changing things. But, but yeah, books and podcasts are everything to me. They got they've got me through some through some through some shitty times, to be honest. Well, the, especially, especially on the horse farm. Quite literally got you through shitty times. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of value in what you just said there, though. Instead of kind of reading 100 books, read 10 books 10 times because you'll f- keep learning the lesson, the bits that you miss, and you'll hear different mm. things, and you'll you'll get a new perspective on it each and every time. And I think sometimes if you find a really good book, to then listen to it or reread it 10 times is a, a really valuable thing that, that you can do. Yeah. I like, I like marketing secrets by Russell Brunson. I think I've probably, I have, that's one of the only books I, I well, his series of books, Dan Kennedy's uh, magnetic um, marketing. I've read that probably six or seven times. Russell Brunson's, I would say I've read each of his books probably 10 times now between actually reading and uh, podcasts. Uh, sorry. And listening. Um, yep. 
like even like like I listen to Alex Hormozzi's podcast pretty much every day uh, that he puts one out. I'm straight onto it, but I don't tend to. I've listened to his books maybe one or two times. I don't tend to go too much into it. It's okay. um, it's yeah. I just um, I think it's important to like really. You've got to when you're not sure about the way who who's going to coach you or sort of things. Whether because a podcast is coaching to me really. If you're going onto one of these like, it's just free coaching. You can yeah. go and consume more of their information. You'll get everything that they're charging hundreds of thousands of pounds for in their inner circles. You just haven't got access to them. So yeah. if you can go in there and you can get everything for free, you've just got to you've got to go really really broad to start off with to find out who the people are that you resonate with and you can respect enough to go. Okay, I'm actually going to listen to those guys and I'm going to implement it. And that's what's going to give me the drive to go through because I feel like I've got I've got something over somebody else because I've I've got this information and the information is what's going to give me. My leverage my my advantage but once you start to get results really just lean into those people and go for it i think that's that's definitely the way why i've learned on how i've sort of done it by accident well i really like what you've just said there with us both being coaches for different kind of niches i think we should probably edit that bit out of the podcast so we don't do ourselves out of customers <laughs> yeah it is but it, but it is i mean even and you hear those 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 highest level guys like i mean I don't know where I heard it. I think it was. I think it was a podcast. It probably was. But I heard saying, "You're not. In, you're not in competition with anybody, and co- collaboration is the key." It's the same sort of thing with like that comment sort of thing. Is that like it's the same sort of principle? Like those sorts of big guys, they, they really don't teach you anything more. Like once they've written a book, they haven't really got any more to teach you. You just get access to, them, and they'll charge you hundreds of thousands for that coaching. So the fact that you can buy a book with it all in, you've got yeah. everything you need there. If it's the, if you if you believe it, and you believe that you can implement it, you've got everything you need in that book to go and do it. You've just got to go and do the the hard yards, as it would be called in a rugby game, or sort of. I mean, there's loads of different sporting analogies. You've got to go and do the hard work. Yeah, on implementing so, it and testing it, and that's all yeah. it is. And that's the hard bit. Sometimes that's where kind of when somebody hires the likes of you or me, we can help guide them and and save them that time, which then could be worthy of the money that they spend with 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 people like us but like you say the answers the internet is far and wide there's plenty of information out there that that will serve you and, and get you to where you want to go if you you go and look for it um there's no no new ideas is the old thing isn't it there's no new ideas over everybody's yeah. had your idea before and as soon as you can let your ego go on that side of it you're not special you haven't had this idea for the first time there are absolutely no new ideas YouTube's got every answer you sort of need, except for actually how to market a restaurant. Nobody's on YouTube actually saying that, because okay. if they were, I would have I would have gone into it. They are giving tactics, but they don't. They, these are guys that actually don't know anything about it. Um, but yeah, there are no, there's no new ideas. But there, you can there are all these ideas have already been had by somebody in the gym industry. It just took me to realize. It just took me to hear in a book or a podcast that. Restaurants and gyms are the two businesses that go out of business the most. So I've gone, oh, maybe I should look at gyms. I found somebody that's like very successful in gyms by using a framework that's working for them. I've taken that framework, I've applied it to restaurants. It's working. Yeah, it's not a new idea. It's just been applied in a different niche. Yeah, uh, and it's taken me. It's taken me three, four years to actually do the little tweaks and stuff for it to work for my business, which is why I am able to coach somebody else to do it because I've tried all the tweaks. All you're doing, you're paying a coach to do, is you're trying, you're shortening the learning time. Exactly right. 
Exactly right. So we're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been brilliant having you on, Lee. Um, so I've got a few kind of quick fire questions. What are the key three behaviours you would like to install into people? What, my customers? I spend more, <laughs> eat more, drink more. <laughs> um, the key three behaviours I would like to install into people. I suppose the stuff that I talk about the most is the stuff that's like given me the most, um, given me the most sort of growth as a person in the last few years. And a behavior would be is a a morning routine that involves journaling, mm-hmm. an evening routine that involves journaling, and. I don't think I've got a third. Those those seem to be things. And stretching, stretching, something like like a regular daily stretching routine has like been my has been life changing for me. Yeah. Off subject of everything else, is those are the three. Like I, I wouldn't say I want to install them into people, but that's the stuff I sort of preach about at the moment. Is is a good morning routine that yeah. that holds you accountable to yourself, mm-hmm. accountability to yourself. Journaling is just something that's incredibly powerful and can take years to learn um, how to do it right. Um, and that just goes again is just looking looking for somebody that does it. There's so many people that have journals and teach journaling. It's just finding a way that works for you and being accountable to doing it. And yeah, stretch people. Stretch. You need yeah. to stretch your bodies. <laughs> Probably one thing that I'm not so great at, at doing. Um. What's the first record you ever bought? It was in Bullworths. <laughs> I'm quite, I'm ashamed of this. I don't even remember the name, but I'm not even sure if it was my first. It's the first one I remember. I used to buy like rock compilations and things like that from, uh, from Bullworths. Yeah, but there was there was a there was a CD that I actually went right. I'm going to go buy that because I heard it on the radio, and it just shows my poor taste in music as a kid. And I think it was like a Simon Cowell band back then, which I, okay. like Ultimate something they were called, and that was the first single. And okay. then when I was like when I, when I was like fourteen, fifteen, I was working in London with my dad, just like labouring on building sites and going down in the weeks. And there was a record shop downstairs there. That's when I started to get a little bit more of a better taste in sort of buying records and things. But yeah. My first one was like Ultimate Something. I can't remember what they were called. I wish it wasn't. I yeah, wish yeah. it was something. I wish it was like the Prodigy or something like that, but it wasn't. It was either uh, a rock compilation or something else. That was what I was about to say. I love how you framed the the rock compilation beforehand before giving the Simon Cowell information. That was yeah, that was yeah. Cool. It was the thing is, I go around, I was like telling my mates, okay, "This album's really, really good. Do you want to borrow my tape?" And it's like, "What the hell are you doing, me?" <laughs> it's like you like what you like, I suppose. But yeah, I was bought into the Simon Cowell machine. <laughs> What's the most memorable place that you've ever visited? I would say um, it's all tied into one, really. So it was because it was my best mate's wedding in Manila, but it was after the wedding. Me and Laura stayed in, I think it's called the Tal Volcano Crater. And we had a room on stilts on the side of it. It's the biggest or second biggest volcano crater inside a volcano crater. So it was like a massive lake volcano crater. We were on the outside of a lake. And then on the inside, there was another volcano. 
which we went across on a boat. And I would say that's probably the most memorable that jumps stay into my mind. It's probably a very, very Yeah, very impressive. What's the, the top three books that you would recommend to people? It's all going to be marketing. Sorry, mate. John <laughs> <laughs> Kennedy, Magnet, Marketing, Russell Benson, yep. Trilogy. And because it's on the shelf, I'm going to say Chimp Paradox. Okay, Dr. Steve Peters. Yeah. Yeah, class book, class book. So thank you very much for, for coming on um, Tales of a Parent Entrepreneur. Where can people find you, Lee? Uh, so at Hubpreneur. It's all my social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, uk. if you fancy some of Wales' best pizza or street food, or you want to see how um, we do a, every day we're doing a membership for, uh, we do a paid reward scheme called Topathers there. So if you want to see how that's implemented, how that's sold in, and if you want uh, to get involved in our free, we're going to coach this for free. I was, if you've got just 10 seconds at the end of it, I was down in the big pit the other day with the kids and there was a story about Humphrey Davy, Sir Humphrey Davy, who invite, invented the miner's lamp. And I was right. sat there listening to it and I've been toying around with how I'm going to launch this, how I'm going to teach pubs this. And I was like, you got into this because you wanted to save pubs. Humphrey Davy, and I'm not comparing myself to Humphrey Davy, but it made me realise that actually I want to put this course out for free. I want to do it in a way that sort of just helps independent food people not focus on just focus on their product we'll be able to sell it and stay in business so i never have to feel the disappointment i did like i did with that tiramisu again but i mean we're going to teach it for free and that's going to be happening in february but you can get all the details of that from magnetichospitality.com cool well lee thank you so much for, for giving me your time today really really appreciate it ladies and gentlemen please get up for mr lee hammond cheers jimmy Bye. Thank you.